Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today we're going to talk about Orange, the second largest telco in Africa. We'll discuss its French founding, global expansion, success in Africa, non-telco businesses, and then we'll end with our views on its future outlook. This episode was recorded on November 1st, 2020. B-Dub, how goes it? Yeah, B-Dub, B-Mac, it's good. I also like how you said Orange, <laughs> by the way. Orange is dope. I, I want to I keep that same energy up to for the next hour. Yeah, yeah, we have to call it orange. We can't call it orange. That just sounds a bit weird. Yeah. Orange. As yeah. professionals. Orange. To people, yeah, as professionals. But to people who speak English, it's orange. But orange. Yeah. I'm well. I'm good. I'm good. Cool, cool. You're just good? I think you're doing more than good. Where, where, are, you, where are you at right now? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm on. I, I'm, I'm spending the weekend on. Um, well, it's not even vacation. I'm, I'm away somewhere. Somewhere in Washington State. It's beautiful. Nice. Scenic. But also yeah. podcasting. Yeah, so for the audience, Bankoli's background is like a beautiful view of what seems to be an ocean or a seabed and mountains. Very, very nice. So I'm glad you're enjoying. Hopefully that translates to your podcast performance. Yeah, so I like you, 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 you create the image for people who are listening to audio. Perfect. Yeah, well yeah we have to. But that's, that's what we're doing, man. We're telling stories about companies. So today we're going to be talking about Orange. I'm excited. I, I feel like the reason I'm excited is because we don't, um, Olumni and I are both Nigerian and we don't talk a lot about French companies, but also non-English speaking countries, um, yes. companies in English speaking countries. And Orange is one of those unique ones where they're, they're a pretty big mobile provider, but they're not in, uh, in Nigeria, South Africa. That was right. a super interesting thing. The more I read into it, I was like, oh, we should spend some time talking about Orange if we're going to talk about MTN or Airtel or any of the others. I, I agree. Especially because the way we've done the podcast, a lot of the times we give information about Sub-Saharan Africa, SSA, or we talk about Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya. Every once in a while, we talk about Egypt, which is obviously one of the other biggest countries in Africa. But Francophone Africa and a little bit of Middle East will be a good thing for us to talk about because Francophone Africa is obviously a very important part and has a large chunk of people. I think part of the reason why we haven't done it is because we're not familiar with it, the language barriers. But today is... Uh, is a topic where we have no choice because Orange is primarily in Francophone Africa and Middle East. So it should be good yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, headquartered in France, then 17 countries in Africa, Oof. 18 if you include Jordan. Mm. So, so the business is now an African and Middle East business because of Jordan. Mm. Found that very interesting. Yeah. 125 million subscribers. Oof. Second yeah. only to MTN. Oof. So that was big. Based on African subscribers, MTN is the biggest with 262 million subscribers, all of them in Africa. Second biggest in Africa is Orange with the 125, 126 million, like Bankoli said. And the third biggest is Airtel, with 111 million subscribers in Africa. But Airtel does have 420 million globally. So massive number if you count all the people in India. And Orange does have 211 globally, so a lot. But for the sake of Africa, it's going to be MTN, Orange, and Airtel. And today we're going to be talking about Orange. How do you get to 125 million without being in Nigeria, Kenya, or South Africa? Yeah, like Oof. that's like you you would think about it and and that's why it's interesting to me it's a story of of french exceptionalism mm. or a uniquely french approach to building a business or expanding or growing which is mostly state driven and we haven't done a lot of podcasts around that or even had a lot of companies or countries that have done that but uh as we'll talk about more the largest shareholder in, in orange is france telecom which is a publicly owned or government owned um government-owned company in, mm -hmm. in France, and they've managed to continue to grow and expand and innovate in Africa, despite being government-owned, where your initial instinct, or at least my initial instinct would be to expect that it's more likely to be um, 
it's like state driven is less likely to work, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Especially my experience growing up basically is government organization, government run organizations almost always end up, you know, not working out properly. But this may be one of the few exceptions, although it's, it's hard to know there is government owned versus government operated. Um, in this specific episode, it's primarily owned and not operated. But I guess we'll, we'll get into that later. To talk about what specific countries they're in. So they're in about 15, 16, 17, 18 countries, depending on how you count it. Um, but their biggest countries are Egypt, Ivory Coast, nice. Morocco, Mali, Senegal, and DRC. They're in a bunch of others, but those are the big six based on number of subscribers. Yeah, I was going to say the biggest thing I remember just when I used to travel or traveling for work in French West Africa is they're everywhere. They're not just big. I think it's like MTN is big in Nigeria, but you almost need to travel to see how big Orange is in, in, in say, Senegal. They're pretty mm. massive. They're a pretty big deal in those markets, I would say. Mm. Like, mm. It's, it's easy to underestimate how big they are. Yeah. That's the part that, that, that kills me. Yeah, and they are the 12th largest telco in the world. So they, regardless of how you count it, they just have a lot of subscribers. They have many more subscribers than a lot more popular um, telcos in the West. So basically the same thing we said about MTN. Okay, we're going to start yeah. off with their history. And we're going to talk about Orange Group, aka Orange SA. So I'll talk a l- little bit about the history of the parents' company, and then we'll come back to the Africa piece later. So this yeah. story starts off way, way back. So I'm going to start in 1837, which I think oh, is no. the farthest. I know it's, it's the so farthest. It's like, so it's basically the, the USPS equivalent of France is what you're about to tell <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, it, it's basically the farthest back I think we've ever gone on the podcast. Okay. Uh, in 1837, Samuel Morse came up with Morse code, um, aka electromagnetic telegraphy. And this was basically the beginning of a series of technological breakthroughs for long-distance communication. And these breakthroughs across... Uh, appeared across all of uh, Europe and America from the early 1800s to the late 1800s. In France specifically, there were three private companies that the government gave licenses to. And these three companies eventually combined to form SGT. So Société Générale du Téléphone, SGT. I'm just going to do that. Your, no, your, your French accent is terrible. It's awesome, wow. isn't it? It's so good. It's so good. I'm, I'm trying my best. Please don't send me any hate mail. If you have any hate mail, email Bancoli. Okay. So the French government eventually nationalized SGT in 1889. SGT would later be called France Telecom. And why did the government nationalize SGT? No, because the governments in all countries start by controlling <laughs> all the mail and all the traffic. And right. the telegraph is just a form of mail. And it's about right. controlling that as well. I think every country has gone through different portions of that. And they go through some liberalization phase. Uh, in the 90s, if you're an African country, earlier if you're in Europe or, exactly. or the US. Exactly. It, it makes a ton of sense. So Exactly right. So basically for political, military control reasons, um, and as it's continuation of policy where France and basic uh, and European powers had always controlled the media and flow of information. So this is pretty common at the time. At what point do you let go, aka privatization, and how do you do that? So it's a timing. Uh, there's a when question and there's a how question. Okay, so fast forward 100 years, massive deregulation and privatization across all of Europe for telecom companies. Um, the French government established France Telecom as an independent entity in the 80s. So independence, which means the government still owned it, but it was privately operated. And then in the 90s, two major things happened in the 90s. So first thing is France Telecom started to expand more and more internationally, most notably going into Argentina, Mexico, Indonesia, Senegal, and Vietnam. So Senegal, Bangalore, we'll talk about shortly. But before we take the African diversion, they started to expand internationally. And the reason for this is 
as they expanded more in the 80s and 90s, they started to lose some market share based on competition. And as the French government started to look at other things that were happening on in Europe with the privatization, they also decided to go public. So they sold about 22% of France Telecom in 1997. And actually, at the time, they raised $7.3 billion, which was one of the biggest IPOs in history at the time. Until Snowflake. <laughs> okay, and I, have a, I have a lot of very interesting, funny stories about this IPO. So I just said they, they sold uh, 22% of the company in 1997. That was the IPO. But apparently, they've been trying to IPO the company for six to seven years. The employees in the unions had been going on continuous strikes over the past four years because privatization meant they would lose their civil servant status and benefits. So literally yeah. every couple of months for four years, they would be striking so they wouldn't have an IPO. And which is interesting in a way because technically for the whole of the French population, it's probably better if it's slightly private. But for the specific employees, I understand why they want to lose their benefits. So eventually, um, they came to an agreement where they kept most of their benefits, um, most notably their pension, and then they sold 20% stake. So moving on yeah. to, to 2004, the government finally sold a majority stake. So in addition to the 22% they sold in 1997, they now sold a lot more and they only own 42%. So they sold over 50% of SGT, aka France Telecom. And I don't think they own that much of it now, right? Yeah, it's been going down and down. And the last number that I've looked at is mid-20s. They now own about 20-ish percent. Yeah, of it. and they're still the majority shareholder. Yeah, by they're now. still majority so shareholder. Nobody comes close. Yeah. And then, so we don't have to keep on using different names, France Telecom started integrating all its subsidiaries under the Orange brand name after it, it bought Orange from Vodafone in 2000. So no more France Telecom, no more SGT, just Orange. And what was the reason for the rebrand? Basically exactly what we said for, for Airtel. They had so many acquisitions, so many subsidiaries, so many different names. It just made sense for all of them to have like one name instead of just a hodgepodge of brands so they could have like one uniform customer-facing message and logo and name to their customers. And then from 2000 onwards, Orange engaged in even more M&A and eventually they started to get into more and more African countries, which leads us very nicely to the, the African piece of the story. Yeah, I, I always feel like if you want to think about France Telecom and Orange, I'd probably be using both terms interchangeably, I mm. think. Just yeah, no if, you're, if you're reading the news and transaction, you, you start to see why is Orange and France Telecom, obviously many countries in Africa are former French colonies. Yes. Um, and France has always been involved in its former colonies in many different ways. In currency, um, the French CFA until recently is pegged to the euro, previously mm. the, French, the French franc. And also in, in telcos, did you know that before the internet, well, before in the 80s, right, France had a network of communications called RioNet, basically an, a closed email service that they built in French West Africa, developed by like Orstom, which is a, a French research agency. And it had hmm. like basically an email network and it had like 80, um, 80 clients through French West Africa connecting to Europe. So you oh, could wow. send email in this closed network. Okay. So France has been investing in like fixed telcos, obviously, to manage communication in their own colonies at the time, mm. uh, historically. But even as those colonies gained independence, there was still, for want of a better word, partnership mm. uh, where the French colonies, co where the French government continued to invest in, in Rionet. I'll put, I'll put a link to the show notes about Rionet, actually. It's a very, mm. it's a good pre-internet example. Um, as a s slight segue, like France itself was very ahead of what what we now refer to as the consumer internet, DARPA-based, like they had their own closed version of that in France as well called Minitel. Mm. Um, it's very fascinating. Mm. And they built some, another closed version email network in, um, 
in in French West Africa as well. So the point was here it is like top down or bottoms up, top down, I guess. Oh, stop down. Okay. Stop down. Okay. It was basically nodes yeah. decided by the government. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's basically why these things have a harder chance of being successful and getting widespread. Because I guess the internet was the opposite. Even though the internet looks like it was top down, it was mostly bottoms yeah. up because it was like a congregation of u- universities. So it had a yeah. more open structure from the start. So more likely to yeah. proliferate. And by the way, um, afrobilly.com slash internet, we've discussed part of this in our former episode, The Origins of the Internet. Yeah, like RioNet had 25 hosts, 10 countries, 80 access points, Cameroon, mm-hmm. Congo, um, and it was still operating until 1993, as a matter of fact. But then, of course, the internet happened, and then... Right, right. the rest is history. And then it became, it, it rest became, rest is history. And if you look at, like, it's different versions of... Um, most of the African countries they're in, and I'll go through some of them in detail, it's different versions of the same story. Mm-hmm. It starts off being state-owned, and then when they decide to privatize, Guess who's right at the door? Or guess who's the right technical partner? It's France Telecom. Right. Right. In 1997, they bought 50% of a state-owned carrier in Ivory Coast, right? Mm. Um, and, you, and there are more and more examples like that. Um, I would probably spend, I'll spend some time looking at the major markets right? okay. to understand, to really understand France Telecom and Orange in Africa. And like, how did Orange get this big? It's really a, a, a very special story that is only only makes sense when you look at it in a granular fashion or look at it in detail, or look at the major markets. These markets account for a large proportion of a subscriber base today mm-hmm. and they help explain Orange's Africa story. It's okay. it's pretty fascinating. So well, there are two things to, to look out for, right? One is how the French government, not so much entrepreneurs, right? It's mm-hmm. the French government because the, the employees are salaried workers, right? How the French government stayed or kept the business connections in these markets. And second is, how do they think about the markets they were already in? Mm-hmm. And, and they went after those markets. It's quite a sensitive topic. On one hand, you could say, since the French government and French telco and French tech was ahead of the Francophone African countries, they could help partner a system to also get to the same level. On the other hand, you could say, why is there so much involvement from a European superpower in our business? Yeah. So as we get into some of these stories, I have some anecdotes as to how some parts of the public were not so pleased with France yeah. Telecom or Orange's involvement. It depends on the specific country. There's some nuance here and there, but it's not a clear-cut uh, slam dunk case. France has maintained an ownership interest in like fixed telco networking in former colonies. So Sonatel, which is now Orange Senegal. Mm-hmm. So all this, I'm going to go through some old names that just know that whatever <laughs> I, I say that you don't recognize is now called Orange. Um, so Sonatel was a state-owned telco in Senegal, was privatized in 1996 with some shares sold to France Telecom, basically, and they mm-hmm. owned a good chunk of it. This was an interesting one when the IPO is. They were granted a, a monopoly on telco services for 10 years in Senegal. Yikes. So that was cool. So basically nobody else could operate mobile networks in Senegal until, to, until July of 2004. Okay. So it's good. It gives you a sweet head start over time. Yeah. Like, Did you see that as part of the story, um, African countries or generally developing countries that had a large amount of loans from the World Bank and IMF were encouraged to reduce the government's involvement in the economy. That's why they started to yeah. like get more foreign yeah. partners. I was like, hmm, that's a very interesting angle. Because on one hand, I understand why IMF and World Bank want that because they know if the government runs it, it's you know, less likely to be efficient yeah. and run the right way, quote unquote. But I don't know if they envisage that it would be European companies that just come and buy them for, I would say, uh, lower values. I, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that they cared. I think it was more exactly. the Washington consensus point of getting like investments and getting government out and 
opening up the market and getting to what you describe as bottom up, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and through Sonatel, they invested in Mali in two thousand and two, Guinea and Guinea Bissau two thousand and seven, and on and on. And the mm. same the same affiliates, right? Almost at some point now, you feel free to stop me at any time when it starts to get boring because it's literally the same story in all the markets. Um, in Morocco, there was... Uh, uh, one more thing. One more thing about uh, yeah. Sonatel. So today, they still have the largest market share. They have between 50 and 55%. And their biggest competitors have mid-20s. So it's been successful from the start, obviously, because it was a monopoly with 100% market share. But even today, they still have... When I say they, I mean Orange Sonatel, right? They still have 50-ish percent market share. In the markets that they're in, they dominate. That's how you get to 125 million in Africa by being in the smaller markets. Is by having a, a bigger chunk of a smaller pie than MTN having a big chunk of a big pie, which is Nigerian market, for example. Yeah. That part was very fascinating. Yeah. In Morocco, it was the same thing. So while Orange was doing this, or France Telecom was doing this, Portugal Telecom was doing the same thing. Telefonica was doing the same thing. They were not the only ones trying to invest in these telcos. Mm -hmm. So in Morocco, they were in a partnership with Portugal Telecom, Telefonica, local investors, Along with Orange, by the way, in 2010, they expanded, they bought 40% 40 of the operator for $840 million, mm. and they increased their stake again in 2015. Now they own the entire brand in in, in, um, in Morocco. So I saw that. I saw that. And I saw they bought uh, the 2013 stake. They yeah. sold it to ET Salat. So that's a potential future episode for $4.2 billion, a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. I, I also think that this they, they what they do well is they start off by being a technical partner and they just uh, grow. Yeah. They grow from inside you and they just take over. It's yeah. similar. Did you, did you notice, Bankole, that almost all the countries that were involved with these African telcos were European companies? Because now, when I think about tech and African tech and involvement from overseas, I'll probably think about Chinese companies and American companies. But back then, mm. almost all my notes are primarily European countries. And this wasn't that long ago. Almost all our stories are... 10, 15 years ago, but the tide has changed a lot. Yeah, from, from Europe and the West to, that's yeah. a good observation, from Europe it's and the West to all India lot, and China now. A lot. And it's not like and American telcos weren't big. AT&T, Verizon was really, really big in 2000. So it's not, it's not a matter of size. I think it's just a matter of interest, relationship, ambition. So Yeah. It's like, now we talk about Transshan, Huawei in Africa. Exactly. Uh, before we talk about like any of these others, like save Orange, right? Right. But, a lot of the others are not nearly as big yeah. in Africa as well. Yeah. Now, like, so Orange, that's how they get to where they're in Morocco. That's how they get to where they're in, in, in Senegal. They start small. They start at source, not small. They start at source as a local, as a telecom partner operator, and they keep increasing their stake until they control the entire thing. Right. They buy everybody out. And each of those transactions, if you go into them in detail, I can put some links in the show notes as well, is they're not clean. They're not necessarily amicable. They don't just shake hands with people. Right? <laughs> like, there's some angst internally. There's some fighting. Uh, that part Lawsuits. Like, lawyers. Yeah, lawyers are getting paid. Lawyers involved. It's not like, <laughs> hey, would you sell it 40% to me for this much? Like, sure. None of that. It's not, not nearly that interesting. Now, Egypt. Egypt is one of the more interesting ones. Mm. So Orange Egypt used to be called Mobinil, ECMS. It was a, it's a very interesting holding structure. The only thing... There was a local investor, Orascom, mm -hmm. uh, Orascom Group, Orascom Construction, very big company in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. The founder has three sons who run different businesses. It's a family dynasty. France Telecom was there at the start, an investment with Orascom and Motorola. I right? was so Motorola shocked to, to find the Motorola well. piece. I was shocked. When I saw it, I was like, this has to be some sort of mistake. Yeah. And in 2001, 
they bought up Motorola paying 250 million for 25% of the company because Motorola wanted to focus on their fixed, their equipment business instead of the uh, telco business, uh, which is very interesting. I, I know. I, I saw that. When I saw it, I was shocked. I never, I would never have guessed that Motorola would have owned a stake in the telco. But I guess back then everything was nascent. They were trying a bunch of things. I don't know the profit margin profile of the business and whether in retrospect it made sense to sell. It was just an interesting observation. We haven't yet come across, we've done a lot of telcos. I think this is our fifth telco. I haven't come across what I would call handset manufacturer in the telco business. Um, yeah. But you know, first time for everything. Yeah, welcome to the African telco podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, so there was all kinds of disputes, again, with France Telecom and Orascom, and it kept on arguments, lawsuits, lawyers, courts. Yeah, for in years, In 2012, right? for years, almost the whole time. In 20, and So this is interesting about Orascom. Orascom was part of Orascom Technology Holdings, which also owned telcos in other African countries. Mm -hmm. So Orascom was also a telco operator. They, at the time, or at their peak, operated telcos in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Algeria, Tunisia, etc. So it was very contentious because they had a partnership in this one market. And of course, they're very connected in Egypt. Um, yeah. What's for the audience, the reason why this is so important, number one, Egypt is one of the largest African countries based on population. Number two, this family, this group, they are also Egyptian. So they have more quote unquote local connections. And number three, it's so early in the market that depending on how this lawsuit got solved, it would have bigger repercussions. So understandable that the lawsuit took years and years and years to sort out. It, it's that they, in 2012, they paid $3 billion for... The three billion dollars left Orascom owning only five percent. Twenty fifteen, they bought the last five percent. Now Orascom is out of Mobinil, Egypt. Question: now Did, you, did Egypt. you see that? After yeah. the lawsuit, the judge was like, "Oh, Orascom has officially lost this suit. Um, they have to sell their stake to Orange." Did you see that they still didn't sell the stake? They're like, "Oh, they didn't agree the price." So they went through a whole other set of lawsuits saying, "Okay, what is the price?" Even though we have to sell, this is unbelievably convoluted. Crazy lawyers made out well. One thing, one thing we should also spend time on is like Orascom itself uh, was started by Nagib Sariris, an Egyptian billionaire, mm. founder of Orascom Construction, started in 1960, and he has three sons that do different businesses, and they have invested all to North Africa. They've owned telcos in Algeria, Tunisia, Iraq, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Now it's renamed, so they've sold off a bunch of stuff as well, and like many of the. Um, Middle Eastern telco families like Zane, they've almost, if you call, sold at the peak of the, of the, of the market. It was peak priced. Um, they still, they're now only operating in Algeria, seven, but they own 65% of the market there. Wow. Um, global, global telecom holdings, and they've delisted from the stock market. It's, it's kind of smaller. I do think Orascom itself is a future episode. Mm -hmm. It's, I think people underestimate how big it was. So for context, it's in, as at like, in the 2000s, it had, nearly as many subscribers as AT&T in oh, the wow. US by customers. Oh, it was pretty big, right? And their family was pretty big and they did a lot of construction. They have a cement company. They invested in Lafarge. So they had two seats on the board in Lafarge. Um, hmm. So it's, it's a, if you don't, if you don't think about it much, you miss it. When you, when you wow. open your eyes, you, you can't stop seeing it everywhere. So, so they're very diversified, but today, are they still involved in any tech related business or have they, gone into industrials and manufacturing. No, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely in tech-related businesses. So it's three brothers and you have to just follow the money. They, <laughs> they, they, they invest a lot more than they own and run businesses. So they still own the telco with, a, through, with partners in Algeria, for example. 
but they had definitely decided to invest a lot more and invest in a lot more different kind of businesses mm. in Europe as well as in North Africa. Not so much mm. outside of that, outside of that, except through their European investments, like through Lafarge. Lafarge has investments in Sub-Saharan Africa, for example. Um, something that Rascom does as well. Definitely a future episode. I, I like the sound of that. They sound like uh, similar to the Ambani family a little bit. Also a little bit similar to Dangote. Um, it, it's, mm, it's, it's basically like family entrepreneurship. It's like one man and the man is 90 now and is worth one point something billion dollars. He has three sons and sons are in their 50s nice. and 60s and they all run different businesses that are independent and independently owned but have similar names and they still talk about business together and they still work together on deals and they just continue to grow and get big. Um, and they're mm. pretty well known in North Africa, but if you're not paying attention, you miss it. So miss that's it. the orange Africa story. Any other countries? Did we do, uh, Ivory Coast? Yeah. So, um, I think Ivory Coast was a bit of a similar story where they were, they invested in the telco at the beginning, uh, the technical partner, and they went on increase their stake, increase their stake. If you look at the annual reports, they have this, um, groups that don't make sense, except when you think about the history of how they acquired a different, uh, thing. So they have a Sonatel subgroup and they yeah. have an Ivory Coast subgroup and it, it can be uh, non-intuitive unless you realize where the different businesses came from. Yeah. I noticed one thing weird about Ivory Coast was MTN bought another company. So MTN bought a company um, called Telesel and then yeah. Orange bought a company called uh, Ivoris. So basically two international companies bought two local companies. I know now those are the first and second. So there isn't a major local player anymore after the acquisitions, which I guess, I guess happens. You know, as we do these major telcos and we'll talk about this in relating to Orange in the end is it's very clear to me that telcos benefit from scale in towers, but also in, in, in the, in the operation of the business itself. For sure. And like, what are the non-affiliated telcos that are just basically waiting to be bought in the major markets. Oh, yes. And uh, those are already targets for Orange already. We're, we're going to discuss that in their announcements to come to Western Africa. Yeah. Because of the French-France telecom connection in all these countries we've just gone through, these companies, the telcos in these companies were closer to Europe than they were closer to the rest of Africa. Uh, I think that's, I, I saw an article like in, in 2004, Meditel, which is the Morocco, Orange Morocco, formerly, the artist formerly known as Meditel. Um, <laughs> was offering roaming in Italy, France, Portugal, and Switzerland, no African countries uh, in 2004, uh, because it just, same telco makes sense, yeah. <laughs> but wow. you couldn't get roaming in from Morocco to Tunisia or Algeria or Egypt, but if you go to Italy or France, you have free roaming. Wow. And that was the kind of, that's how Europe focused French West Africa was, but to some degree still is. I, 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 like that part I found like, huh. Yeah. Okay, so to summarize where we are in the story, we've been talking a lot about Orange Africa. And here's some information to tell you how important Orange Africa is to the Orange Group. So the revenue contribution is about 14%. So 14% of the group's revenue is from Orange Africa. In terms of revenue growth, almost every other group has negative, almost every other segment has negative revenue growth apart from um, Orange Africa. So if I look at it, um, Orange Europe is negative 3.7% revenue growth year over year. Um, Orange France is 3% revenue growth. Orange Enterprise is negative 1.7%. Orange Shared Services negative 5.7%. Orange Spain is negative 5.6%. So I'll stop. Let's just say almost all the segments are negative and the highest growth by far is Africa Middle East with like 5.1% revenue yeah. growth. And two things to take from this. One is part of their reason reason for expansion in Africa is not on 
it's not on some neo-colonial, it's not, I guess, only, or we'll never know if it's a neo-colonialist like pretext of, or continuing to dominate those countries. It's no, it's, it's business. a business choice. Yes, They're facing intense competitive pressure in their home markets and they right. can't differentiate. It's very hard. Those are very mature markets, right? Um, and therefore, these, these African markets are greenfield and new for yeah. them to come into. For, for, for the, sure, for sure. And you, you can yeah. tell it from, from the revenue growth numbers. Like France had a massive uh, price-cutting uh, war, price wars that started a few years ago. It's Everything is just going down, even from a profitability. Orange Africa is 16% in terms of EBITDA contribution. So it's it's just massive. CapEx, 14%. Um, it's, it's a really, really important subgroup. Same thing we said for uh, Airtel. Same thing we said for Vodacom, for Vodafone. So these African subsidiaries, they're not one-off things that they're trying. They're actually massive, important components for the companies, both for revenue and for growth. So yeah, yeah, I, that that was the thing that 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 struck me. It's like it's not Orange in Africa is not a, it, or at least it's not just about politics. I think yes. that's the thing that struck me. It's, for, for, it's, for, for it's sure. good business. It's a big business, and it's big good business. Okay, so next we're going to talk about non-telco businesses. What else do they do apart from apart from telco? This is actually a very, very short list. Unlike most companies that do a wide variety of things, Orange primarily does Orange money. Um, and for those who are not familiar with the way mobile money works, here's a clip from one of our earlier episodes explaining how uh, mobile money typically works in African countries. So the way mobile money typically works is you have people who have like basic phones. Let's just call them dumb phones for now. And these basic phones, they're not like smartphones. They have like a small screen, like long battery life. They, they don't have a QWERTY keyboard. They have like a T9 keyboard. And you, you use USSD, which is like when you press in star four, five, eight, whatever. And you go to physical agents to convert your physical hard cash to quote unquote digital money on your dumb phone. And you access the digital money and the digital services through USSD codes on your phone. So let's pick an example. Let's say I'm a farmer and I have like 2000 Naira or 2000 pesos, whatever. Um, I go to a mobile agent and I, I give him the 2000. He puts the 2000 into my phone, quote unquote. He converts it to digital money and I can now send people money by different USSD short codes. And then it enables me to do things. So that's like mobile money wave 1.0. So. Orange money basically works the same way you'd expect from most mobile money services. I was very, very intrigued to understand their key differentiators, um, and it was a little bit tricky to find it. So a recap, what did they actually offer? Send and receive money, pay for airtime, pay for bills, and send international transfers. Um, so mostly non-differentiated. If you look at it closely, one slight differentiation is since Orange has so many European customers, it's way easier for someone, let's say in Orange, France, to send money to someone in Orange Cote d'Ivoire, because they would get big. the money, which is big. So they'll get the money in their mobile money accounts. Um, so I say slight differentiation, because you could use TransferWise, you could use WorldDrive, you could use a bunch of other services, but those typically take one to two days, and those are not as fully integrated on the back end, versus this is almost instantaneous. Yeah. They don't deposit into your mobile money account, so it's immediately ready for use. Yes, oh, actually, thankfully, on that, I was surprised. World Remit does. So transfer money doesn't support that. Uh, mobile money transfers. Transfer-wise, you, you have to send it to the person's bank account. But World Remit started doing that. So, oh, so you send stuff to your, directly to your mobile, mobile money, money Yes, it's just, it's just not wow. instantaneous. So it's, it's a slight differentiator. But honestly, uh, depending on what happens with the competitors, I would say not that much. Uh, so Orange Money was launched in Cote d'Ivoire in 2008. Um, it's now available in basically all their Middle East and African countries. And... 
some of the statistics about it I thought was actually pretty cool. So it has uh, about 20 million active customers. An active customer is defined as someone that made one transaction in the past 30 days. And mm-hmm. out of the 20 million customers, that's growing about 20% year over year. And their revenue growth is increasing by 27%. So they didn't disclose the revenue, but they disclosed the revenue growth. Uh, okay, so what, how do these numbers stack up? We've done a bunch of telco episodes. So we have all the numbers. So Safaricom and PESA has 40 million active customers. So that's the first. Second 40 million is, versus their 20 million. Versus 20 million for Orange. So okay. Safaricom is the first with 40 million. MTN Momo is 38 million. Airtel Money is 19 million. So Orange Money is third. Um, and there isn't that much differentiation in terms of users from the bottom two, but the top two have way more users. I wish we could directly compare revenue for all the four, but based on the disclosures, we can't. Yeah. But we do know from Airtel's uh, statement, Airtel Africa, the ARPU is pretty low. It's about a dollar and a half per, per user. So the way to think about this is based on number of users, Safaricom is by far ahead. Based on features, Safaricom and PESA is also by far ahead. So Think about it as M-Pesa is way ahead. Specifically, M-Pesa has features for savings, lending. They have deeper integration with international third parties like PayPal and Alipay. And Momo, Airtel, and uh, Orange Money are a little bit behind. So I would say interesting effort. So far, so good. They do have a bunch of users. It's growing. I would just say I was a little bit surprised to see the level of differentiation is, is so low. But I guess that applies to almost all of them apart from M-Pesa. One thing I'd be curious about is also if they offer um, inter- interoperability across their uh, West African markets. So if I went mm. from Ivory Coast to Senegal, would I still it, be able to use the same the same resources, number, network access? It's very so interesting. They, they probably still have some moderately differentiated features based on the country, but the same backend. So that is, that is orange money. Uh, one thing I mm. noticed is it is something they're definitely looking at in their uh, annual reports and earnings. They stated as an area of growth. It's pretty important and it's something they focus on. And in their five-year plan, their 2025 plan, they, they're talking about more features they can add. So I guess they're thinking about it the same way I'm talking. I'm thinking about it. And specifically, they're thinking about adding features such as insurance. So yeah. let's see how that evolves over the next five years. They, they've, they've been also trying to do lending and saving as well. They yep. tried in 2018. But I couldn't find any any uh, more information of them doing it at scale yeah. Yeah. anytime soon. Yeah, especially, basically, the reason why I think some of these things are so important is if you go back to our Mpesa episode, by the way, you can listen, affability.com slash Mpesa or affability.com slash Safaricom. For Mpesa, the savings and lending features are growing at 100% Kager. So it's something that's where- That's where pe- the growth is. Except yeah. that that's where all, all the growth is. And then so for Mpesa, Regular transfers are growing at 15%. So that's definitely where all the growth is because obviously they're not breaking it down by savings and lending. It might be completely different, but it's just interesting to see if you offer this feature, this is something people want in comparable African countries. And if you look at, uh, if you translate um, PESA's growth rate, you can see that that's where the growth is, basically in the savings and lending. That's what people want. And that's where the market hole is. Yes, yes. And also, price that risk. And also, if you look at fintech companies, there's a reason they gravitate towards those things because that's what people want. Now, obviously... Depend on your risk profile, depend on competition, depend on how you collect the money. TBD. Any ability to price that risk. Exactly. TBD on profitability, but from revenue perspective, is definitely something that you, you can do. Um, yeah, anybody can, lo- anybody can loan money. That's course. easy. Yeah, yeah. I, anybody, I mean, <laughs> anybody, anybody can give loans. Yeah, yeah. It's, can it's you the collect collection. the money back? Yeah. How does it float to the bottom line is the question. 
Um, and by the way, I was very, very intrigued to see the level of disclosure. So if you look at Airtel's um, statements, Airtel has a line for our proof of mobile money, um, number of customers for mobile money, just a lot more information. Orange does not. And I think that's because Orange Africa has not yet IPO'd. So it's all just combined. And just the level of granularity is just a little bit different. So hopefully- For the Africa business. For the, Africa, for the Africa business specifically, because that's what we're talking about now. So hopefully over time, we can see some more information there. Um, there were a bunch of rumors that they were going to IPO earlier this year, but I guess- They hired bankers. <laughs> they hired bankers. As one does. <laughs> As we do in the telco business. But I think because of- um, COVID and a bunch of other factors, they've put it back on hold. So in the future, I'm looking forward to that. They've also tried a few things. They, they set up Orange Campus Africa, which is basically an ed tech training platform. Uh, so it seems to me that's mostly a CSR thing. I'm not sure if that's going to be a long-term sustainable business, but let's see how it goes. And basically that's it. That's all they do to diversify. So I'm going to contrast this with all the companies we've spoken about. And you see there's basically a, a diversification spectrum, I'm calling it. The most diversified telco is definitely Safaricom, followed by MCN followed by Airtel, and then Orange is last, because basically they don't do any differentiation. Now, Geo, <laughs> Geo is the most diversified, but we're not counting Geo because Geo is a conglomerate. It's just interesting to see how companies have different strategies. So Airtel has Airtel TV and Airtel Mobile Money. So much more than just mobile money, which um, Orange has. MTN has MTN Momo Mobile Money. They have MTN Insurance, MTN IO, MTN IOBA. MTN music, the music one. That's MTN Music, MTN Home yeah. Internet. And then Safaricom has so many, just battle down them. Safari, home internet, um, Uncopa, ride sharing, Bonga, and then two other small ones. So it's very, I mean, just because you're diversified is not necessarily a good idea, just to be clear to the audience. It's just interesting that it's taking slightly different strategies. You can spread yourself too thin yeah. and not be successful, or you can be overly concentrated. What I'm pointing out is just the difference in strategy, not to say one is better than the other. Yeah, I would say even two things about Orange. It was like, one, they did invest into like Jumia and EAG at IPO. Yes, yes. But I said $85 million. $85 million. The second piece is, is, is the reason why it doesn't seem like they diversify is that they're maybe because they're in smaller markets. So if you're in Kenya or South Africa or Nigeria, you can do more money because you do it once and you get scale and you can do savings and lending. Right. Within a smaller market like, I don't know, DRC, um, maybe it's not, it doesn't quite scale well right, right. in those and, markets. And, and I mean, your point about maybe the best way to diversify is to do equity investments in other companies, like I said, they did it with Jumia. But even when I when I think about that, there is really just one example. So I don't know if that's something they're doing on a, okay, we have a venture group, we have a team, we're looking out for investments versus that was, oh, this is so attractive. If you ask me, that was a one-off thing they did. There isn't enough of a track record to show they do that systematically. Uh, so we'll see how the strategy plays out. Personally, if I had yeah. to bet, I would personally try to be more diversified. I could be wrong. I just think it's extremely risky to be overly focused on your core business because the rate of technology changes so quickly. But you know, yeah. but let's see how, I, how it all goes for them. I would prefer I to think, be Safaricom than to be Orange. I think we'll definitely talk about it in our like outlook. And like, yeah, Jumia itself is uh, trading at like $1.2 billion now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. maybe the $85 million investment at IPO was... Is positive. I don't yeah. know if they held or sold, actually. I don't know. I know MCN just sold all their stake uh, last week. Well, yeah. well, well. Yes. That so explains a lot. Okay. We should we should probably revisit our Jumia episode at some point. I feel yeah. like if you want to listen, afrobilitycom slash Jumia. Please listen. I thought that was a good one. That is, that's my, my view on their diversification. Do you have any thoughts the, on how they've diversified? So the other piece is that they, they've, they've tried, which is what I was going to get to, is that it's almost... 
they've tried many things, but the nature of the internet has just been one that has punished them. So in, in 2000, they started something that is M location, which is like a yellow pages directory type thing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this is before maps and before all of that stuff. And they had location data and they had yellow pages and it made sense and a text to tell you where something is, but it wasn't really helpful. I, um, we'll talk a bit, a, bit, a bit more about this at the end, but it, that's the challenge with telcos is how do you build quicker in a way that um, you cannot be disintermediated by any of the like big tech measures that you can capture some of the value that you create. So if if you consider every internet company that has users in Africa built on top of internet access provided by the telcos and who makes money from that is, you know, Google or Facebook selling ads on top of that versus the telcos themselves who own the right. infra and connecting people who make some money, but not as much. Right? right. And that's not an Africa specific problem. Even in American markets, European markets, technically telcos eventually end up in very tight situations where they have to find other ways to diversify and get revenue. That's why AT&T bought DirecTV and on and on and on. Because after after a while, it just becomes harder and harder. And because of competition, it's a kind of industry where your profit margins tend to go down unless you're, uh, you're Verizon and you charge people $120 per plan. <laughs> you, ha- you, have to go up, you have to go up the stack and capture more value. Exactly. I think that's a, that's a challenge for the telcos themselves. It, yeah. it, as, as we look at the different businesses and, and talk about where they are today, go forward, it's like, okay, for them to grow, which is what Geo realized also, is they built this tech, infra- this tech layer, the infrastructure layer, but they have to go up yes. to capture more value because that part of the stack is being commoditized um, already because a lot of the value that's being created is created by hardware manufacturers, Created and captured by hardware manufacturers, um, Correct. the app makers and the Google Play Store and the App Store and social media companies and all of that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, and normally it's a very obvious thing to be like, oh, your part of the value chain is being commoditized. Go to another higher value part. The problem for them is they have all these capex on costs. It's not as easy. If you were a software player, you could just be like, okay, let's develop something new. But if you have capex and um, towers it becomes a little bit trickier so i feel for them um it's a hard business to be in it's, it's not even a sun cost it's an ongoing oper- operating cost yes it's, exactly. it's a loan they have to service yes. is that they've raised all this money and they have to they've built all this infrastructure and they have to service all the loans yeah. that that part is when we think about what orange is today uh is like many other telcos facing the same kind of challenges uh, sometimes it, it's starting to feel like those telcos are v- very different but are not some bolts of it. They're facing similar challenges right. and they're approaching differently. And as we've seen today, um, MTN or Safaricom is much more along, much further along the diversi- diversification path than Orange's. Um, but they are also in different markets is what we're thinking about as well. Yeah. So it, today, like I think the Africa, Africa and Middle East business, which is practically an Africa and Jordan business, <laughs> is 3 billion euros in revenue, growing at 4% year on year. Um, which is like a pretty respectable growth rate. 125 million subscribers, a, a strange thing because you actually have a, a product where the switching cost in theory is high, but we've all, people have found, I've seen research that mobile number portability has never really been a driver of subscriber churn. Yeah. So even though switching cost is low, in many of these markets you can put your number, people don't actually do that yeah. I, I, for whatever I've, I've reason. I've seen the same because I remember... I was living in Nigeria when they were about to introduce uh, number number porting. I think they called it MNP or something. Yeah, and they, had, initially, they, had, they had the best ads too. Yeah, initially I was like, oh my God, this is going to change the game. And then when I saw the research, I'm like, oh wow, it doesn't make any difference. And then I thought about Never, it. Never, in no market. I thought about it. I was like, oh yeah, it's not going to make any difference. And, and, then, and then it didn't. 
years no after launch. You can actually switch in Nigeria. You can switch your MMP like in the US by sending a text. You can do yeah. it from your phone. You don't even need yeah. to like go to an office or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason for, for the audience is in prepaid markets, it's already pretty easy to switch without MNP. So MNP shouldn't make any difference. So for example, let's say your company didn't have MNP, right? You could just get another SIM. Most people already have multiple SIMs anyway. Obviously you have a different number, it's a bit irritating, but because most people already have multiple SIMs and it's easy to switch between those SIMs, just cause you can port your number over, that shouldn't like dramatically change your your, your uh, switching capability. Yeah. So that's the fundamental reason. I, I, yeah, agreed. As far as also Orange's growth opportunities is they've been expanding and they've been the primary beneficiary of uh, of Reliance Geo's competition with Airtel in India. Uh, so as Geo has built out their infrastructure in India, um, Airtel has, tra- has had to sell down assets in other markets so they can invest. Um, I think they had a $9 billion investment plan in India to compete. So they're trying to IPO the business. They've sold the Tawas business. They're selling their investments in some countries and Orange is just right behind them. They're like, thank you, thank you. We'll take that. Thank you. We'll take that. Thank you. Um, Did you see, see their stock price change over time? What? Uh, France Telecom, or I guess. Yeah, yeah Orange. Or, or Orange Group. Honestly, yeah. my commentary is just down and to the right. It's gone down by 35% in five years. So pretty catastrophic. Yeah, so they're, they're definitely talking a good growth story. If you look yeah. up Orange, they're talking they're talking a lot about growth, but yeah. they're not really catching the checks. Like they bought Cellcom Liberia, they bought yeah. Burkina Faso and Sierra Leone, yeah. Tigo and the DRC. But Doesn't really move the needle. All, all you need to know is this is their top line revenue growth. Over five years, 1.4%, 1. 1.2%, 0.2%, 1.3%, 2.1%, 1.2%. So basically between zero and two, their top line revenue growth has been basically flat. So I'm not and sure. I'm not surprised. Are doing, price the other telcos are doing high single digits. If I remember from like MTN. The other telcos are doing, MTN, Airtel are doing high single yes, digits. Yes, exactly, like exactly. We can even check the Airtel one right now. Yeah, it's been, it's just been. Now, of course, this is for the group, right? This isn't for Africa, but it's actually, it's quite surprising to see that. So the Airtel one, Top line revenue growth for Airtel is 6%, 10%, 11%, 9%. So considerably higher. Yeah. But again, we're comparing Airtel Africa to Orange Group. It's just been, it's been, um, it's been quite un- unfortunate to see. I don't think we've done a company so far where the top line revenue has been completely flat. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit noisy because of the European business. Uh, exactly, I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll post a link to the data data um, file for the Africa business as well. But the Africa business is not growing that 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 size in yeah. any case. Yeah, we have the Africa business. It's a uh, 6%, 2%, 3.8%, then 5.1% is the one I, I just said. Um, yeah, so, so it's basically. Still not nearly as much. It's better than, than the overall business, but not as much as, uh, yeah. as, as, their, as MTN and the competitors in those markets. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, actually, because I was trying to understand why. And I think the core reason was what I said before. The biggest markets have a lot of competition pushing the price down. And even though the Africa one is higher, it's not that much higher to compensate um, for this. Yeah. And, and from an enterprise value perspective, I think I spoke about this before, it's worth $69 billion. So significantly uh, more than, you know how I always joke that MCN is like a few billion, yeah. Airtel is a few billion. But that's because this is the group. When they have the IPO, we'll actually see the value of just African subsidiary to do apples to apples. You can't compare yeah. MCN only in Africa with $2 RPUs to uh, Orange, mostly in Europe. So, you, you also like are saying when they do the IPO, did somebody tell you something? You want to oh, give me a stock tip? No, I, I, I don't give stock tips just for the record. This is not financial <laughs> advice. I'm just following the fact that that's what they wanted to do before COVID. And then maybe after COVID, they'll do that. Yeah. So the, the numbers aren't looking so hot. 
they've, they've also talked about getting into Nigeria and South Africa. So for context, yes, yes. Orange is big. And they're like, okay, these are the two biggest markets in Africa. And we are not in either of those markets. Now, Nigeria, start with Nigeria and talk about South Africa. Nigeria has some very clear candidates. So mm. we, Etisalat, uh, Middle Eastern Telco, came to Nigeria, invested a lot of money, some debt issue, some argument with local, local partners. Etisalat pulled out. Nine Mobile, the leftover company, like local investors had the company. It was time to look for foreign investors. And basically, blood was in the water. Um, and everybody wanted to buy. And the, the conversation was Orange or Vodafone was going to invest in either of those businesses. And it, was, yeah. it seemed to be a done deal. And yeah. then it wasn't. Yeah, it would be a it wasn't. great entry point. Because oh, the, the, the story was that they bid for it and then they lost. And Teleology, Teleology won. And then Teleology pulled out three months after. Yikes. Um, it's, so the story is not done because yeah. it's not owned by one of the majors. As you talk about telcos, it's only a matter of time before somebody comes to take this over and integrate it into their network yeah. of, of brands. To, to give context for the audience, so the current market share in Nigeria Telco is MTN has high 30s. So let's say between 38 and 40%. Second, Glow and Airtel typically have the same market share, like high 20s, 20, 20 to 27. Yeah. And then yeah. last is Nine Mobile, which has between 5 and 8% market share. So even if they got, even if they bought Nine Mobile, they would still be like dead last and they need to do something aggressive to get market share. But that's the only entry point because MTN is definitely not going to sell because Nigeria is their crown jewel. Second, Same with Airtel. Yeah, Airtel, of course, they're not going to sell. Glow, maybe, but unlikely because that's their primary oh country owned by a Nigerian. So it's only, the only candidate is the, is the player that's been in, in last place for the past 10 years. Um, I'm so, in trouble. Yeah, it would be interesting if they actually did uh, buy Nine Mobile. They'd have to actually have to do something innovative, which in the Nigerian context probably just means super low prices. Which is not so hot. I, I I think you can do very interesting things with data availability, but it's it's very competitive, and you have to invest in infra. You do, and that's a lot of money for for a, a company that is also already in a lot of debt. So yeah, it's definitely not optimistic. A, a, a tough battle. I don't. It, it's basically do they want to try to get customers by all means and reduce the prices, um, or do they want to focus on profitability? and be okay with a low number of users. So it's what are they trying to optimize for in the, in the short term? Because if they really want to get a lot of users, they can cut all the prices, but that's going to be very, very expensive. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that over the over the next yeah. couple of years. And, and in South Africa, it's a similar story. So Celsius struggling carrier. Yeah. And in June, the CEO of Orange Africa said um, they will be in Nigeria and South Africa within a few months rather than a few years. Yeah, that I was the that. quote. I, was like, I saw that quote. I, li I like that a in lot. The, in the middle of the pandemic, he's just like, <laughs> so, you start firing shots like that. Everybody stay home, like hide your wife, hide your kids. Okay, so, so um, South Africa market share is Vodacom has about 42% first. Second is MCN with about 30%. Uh, third is CLC with about 15%. And then the last is just a hodgepodge of different small players, most notably Telcom. Exactly, MVNOs. So yeah, their, their best bet is definitely going to be CLC because Vodacom is not selling. They have no reason to sell because Vodafone is their parent company. MCN, we just said, are not likely to sell. And even when a, an Indian company tried to buy, when Airtel tried to buy MCN, it didn't happen. So unlikely that would happen in their home country, which basically just leaves CLC. So again, very difficult. And but Celsius itself is is a good. Celsius it, is actually even more likely than I was saying Naimo because they're going through a turnaround. They had twenty five hundred workers. They just laid off about a thousand in June. They have seventeen percent market share. That's way better than yeah. six. <laughs> it's six. Like they just defaulted on a loan in December. Yeah, that was being restructured. I saw that. So it's like they're basically like 
um, waiting to be bought. It's yeah. did, did you see smells, that? They, they no longer uh, operate their own infrastructure. They're now Celsius? using MTNs. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that, that means they're an MVNO, right? The CEO was like, no, 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 we're not an MVNO. So I'm going to put the link in the show notes. There's a whole table they have on their site which says... <laughs> What an MVO is and what we are, uh, but basically they're, struggling. Yeah, they're basically they're struggling. licensing uh, MTN spectrum. They're, they're not in a, in a good spot. I think they're struggling, and I think I that think like so within Nigeria and Africa, it changes their market share and their, maybe not so much their profitability. Those, those those markets are incredibly competitive, but it changes a lot of things in their market if they uh, are able to enter either Nigeria or South Africa. For, that for is sure. the stuff I want to see. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see that. Also, it would put it more. Um, it would make a lot of these markets more competitive. So the users are likely to win because what's likely to either happen is more yeah. features or better pricing. Either way is a win-win. I prefer lower pricing, but even if they have better features, better availability is still good. So the consumers are likely to win. I wonder how, I wonder if they're actually going to do this because the statement from the CEO sounded very focused. Self-assured. Yeah, yeah self-assured. Exactly. Thank I you. Just, That's what I was looking at. I was like, okay, hmm. You know like, something that we like, don't know. Yeah, it was not like, nah, we, uh, the check is in the mail. Yeah. It's getting delivered on Tuesday, and, yeah. but I didn't get any, and that's been like four months at this point and still nothing yet. So yeah, might, even before we like, from recording to release, maybe we're going to see an announcement. We're going to record like an addendum to it. Oh like, my goodness. I'll definitely have Orange, that. Orange bought something in between Sunday and Thursday. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. They also, they also did like an IPO thing. They talk about IPO for a while. Mm-hmm. They've been talking about it. It makes Orange sense. Africa IPO specifically. Yeah, Orange Africa IPO specifically. Just hive out the Africa business and then yeah. use that to raise some money to invest in the business further. I and, love it. And also separate people who want exposure to Africa versus exposure to the European business as well. Yeah. Um, I would love that. Maybe get some good primary investors in there. That'd be very interesting if you had some telcos really invested to hedge yeah. their bets. Because yeah. if you're any of these other major telcos that's not in any major that's not in any of these markets, it's a good reason to to invest in that and get some exposure to. Yeah. to and also well. from Orange's perspective, they can use that to raise money to help them get into these markets. Because for the audience, typically what happens when you IPO is you give up some equity stake and then you get some money because obviously you've sold off some ownership of the company to the public. So they could raise billions and then they could use the same billions to buy some of these companies. So it could make sense. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're thinking about. That's why the CEO sounds self-assured. In a few months, it was like, <laughs> we're just going to take some debt, we're going to sell some sell equity yeah. and then, hmm, fascinating. I think that could be Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. Do you overall we, we, thoughts and outlook? Yeah. yeah. You, want, you want to go or you want me to go? I can go. Um, go I can go first because I, I feel like we're going to say different things. Um, if I take a step back and think of Orange and where Orange is, is Orange and France Telecom is an example of, of state-driven entrepreneurship or state-driven innovation and proof that it can work. Uh, I'm very careful to say that it also shows the limitations of state-driven innovation and state-driven entrepreneurship. They can prove that it works up to a point. Like, I would say that it's not necessarily as bad as most people think. And you must understand that my own experiences are going to be colored by, I don't know, growing up in Nigeria and my experience with Nigerian government. And it's not true for all governments, even though it's probably a good rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll link to some articles below. Like France had a good close precursor to the internet called, called uh, Minitel, basically like a, a portal that it gives to every French citizen that you put in, that was a, you could use it to book restaurants in the 80s as well. Everybody had access to it to communicate with people. So there's been a lot of innovation. And I talked about what Orstom did with the closed email network in French West Africa as well. So all of that, all of those driven by the government, not entrepreneurs, not private sector, government-funded communication, infrastructure, distribution. 
um, it can yeah. work and it has some benefits and the people in all these countries are happy for it. I well, feel like this is, a, this is a follow-up to the uh, health tech out, output. I love it. You and I are diverging more and more. You're going to work for the government when we're done with the podcast. I'll support you from a distance. Wow. Anyways, <laughs> I, I, I think here is that like, it's not, the lesson is that like in some ways that some parts of this are aspirational. The difference between French people or maybe most other people, I read a survey, is that they, they tend to look at the government for solution to their problems, um, to solve their problems. And most people look at for entrepreneurs to solve their problems. Uh, as like as a community, like, who do you expect to fix like this or that? And it's like mm. mostly like entrepreneurs should make my internet work fast, uh, but they're like the government should make my internet work fast, and mm. the government has had to do those things over time, just the nature of how the French society is built up. So, what my takeaway is not so much that government is good. My takeaway is that government incompetence or the fact that it's government is not enough of an excuse. Um, like I feel like many people are like, oh, but it's government. It's like, so what? It's like, it's your job. Do something. Like, right. Um, right. That's also, what I with. this episode has taught me the difference between governments owned and operated versus governments owned and private sector operated because yeah. those, those two things in my mind have always sort of been the same but now i see there's actually a clear distinction like the employees yeah. running the business what are their kpis how do they think about success how do they think about growth and how do they measure that's it's like most of the people running orange are not public servants like they're private people thinking about revenue growth profitability and markets so in a way you see it's government but really they're almost indistinguishable from a private company so i know what you mean but this episode is really driving down the point for me that like governments owned and private operated might as well just be completely private the, the ownership structure doesn't really influence behavior oh until the government makes them do things <laughs> um, but but if you think of governments like china or estonia or France, these are countries where you find that's just a huge, uh, stronger government involvement in the private sector. Like in Estonia, pretty famous example with a digital ID and the whole entire digital infrastructure and digital visas. And that's all government driven, not entrepreneurs. Uh, so uh, there's, there's something there. My takeaway is not so much that government is great. It's so much more that, like we need to hold our government to higher standards. There's nothing unique about, about their incompetence. They, about them, it's just incompetence. Hmm. The, the the second piece is I think Orange is exceptional. I think it's very easy to think of Orange as French neocolonialism, or like or or as only French neocolonialism as French extension of powers into Africa. Maybe maybe it isn't. I think reasonable people would disagree. But I will say they're not the only ones that tried this approach. Like Portugal Telecom. Telefonica, right. almost everybody came in, Vivendi Universal. Lots of companies came in in the 80s, Motorola. 80s and 90s, this privatization time, it was a gold rush. Everybody was like, you need to get in quickly. These are the hot. Right. Um, Africa is opening up. You know, I have no something in the government buy a portion of the business and build right. build this infrastructure and make That's a ton a of money forever. Because remember when Mo Ibrahim was saying he was trying to convince people to look at the African opportunity. All this was happening around the same time. So actually yeah. shows that some people did appreciate the opportunity and make moves. Some people didn't do anything. So your Just point didn't is do actually very valid. It. Yeah. So it's not like they took risks. There are reasonable people that said, oh, we're not going to do business in Africa or we're not mm. going to expand any more than we already have or we're going to sell our stock in 1999. And they stayed and they did that. I think that was very interesting to me. The final point on the company itself so and their growth opportunities I honestly think that like with telcos in Africa is still day one, if you think about penetration, right? African mobile penetration is 44%. Global average is 65%. Um, if you look at the telco revenues, um, like voice and SMS revenues are falling off a cliff. Basically, the things that we've seen that people call value add can become core really quickly. 
like the things that people are called value-added services, um, as in the case of Geo, like if I think of Geo's business now, those things that Orange or MTN core value-add is Geo's core business at this point. It's a service layer that becomes a core business and the infra is the infra, basically. I think that for for that for that reason, right, they, there's still a lot more room to grow in those markets. I'm still very bullish as to like the depth and penetration. The problem yeah. is really just figuring out like how can they do it at a cost that works or, or yeah. a business model that works. Yeah, but that's just the same thing for, for me. Like, I agree with you. What is a bit concerning is the ARPUs have been low for so long and some of the ARP, so the voice revenue, um, the voice ARPUs have been low for so long. The data ARPUs are going down for almost all of them because they have to reduce their prices. So yeah. the market is early, but even when the market grows, is it going to be profitable? I mean, are the ARPUs going to reach 40, 50, like Verizon and AT&T? I doubt it. If their ARPUs are going to go from 1.5 to 2.5 to 3.5, is that going to be enough? To, I don't know. It's a difficult you, business, even though it's early, you, is what I'm saying. You have to sell something else to capture that extra exactly, value. Exactly, like, exactly. The ARPUs, you are not in a telco business. That's, if you that's, realize you're it, not in a telco business, exactly you why start I prefer to Safaricom diversification to Oranges. At some point, you need to figure out that no matter what you think about your core business, the likely outcome is it's going to get more and more commoditized. So you need to find another angle to add value. Yeah. yeah. They're trying with orange money, but not a lot of success. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're trying. It's um. every time I compare the mobile money features of all these apps, I have all of them on my phone. I look at Jumia Pay. I look at Palm Pay. And then I look at Airtel Money, MTN Money, Orange Money. Just the feature set is so much better. Like Jumia Pay's features are so much Maybe better is the wrong word. They just seem to have more features and they're thinking about it differently than Airtel money and Orange money. So maybe it's Apple's oranges because they have pre-installs with 120 million people. But I don't know. I just If you rely on pre-installs that much, I I just don't know is all I'm going to say. From an outsider perspective, the feature set seems way worse. um, And it seems like it's also not a core thing they're working on. But pre-installs are sometimes successful. And if you have enough pre-installs, you can add on additional functionality later. So who, who knows? And services. Yeah. And services, that's, exactly. That's 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 the bull case for me. Yeah. That's the big case for me. Okay. Um, my overall views. Cool. So I think since we've done so many telcos, just to look at the arc of some of these telcos, I think it's quite interesting. So MTN is basically 100% African. Safaricom is also 100% African, but the parent company, Vodacom, is a little bit African mostly. And then Vodafone is not African at all. And then Airtel is primarily Indian, but they have an Airtel Africa subsidiary. Orange is primarily French, and they're going to spin out an African subsidiary. I think it's interesting to think about the combination of the political geographic angle with tech. And as we have more and more Mm. of these conversations, you see how hard it is to disentangle them. So for me, I think of myself as a tech optimist. I, I like to think about the technical, numeric, logical engineering solution. But as we see from some of these things, there's always in the background, government slash politics. It's always there. Even Safaricom. Yes, 100% African, but really it's owned by Vodacom and, and Vodafone, which are not. Yeah. So so Airtel, Airtel's Africa story is basically about a- like exactly. India-Africa relations. Correct. Correct. As much Correct. as it is about Airtel exactly. investing in X, Y, and Z. Exactly. That's why the quote unquote cleanest would be MTN. Because MTN, all their consumers are here, they're South African. Even then, I mean, if you remember our episode, Airtel almost bought Af- um, MTN. Um, so because of the way MA merged, works, merged. they almost merged fine. Because of the way MA <laughs> works, I just think it's an interesting arc that I'm learning from doing so many telcos episodes. That's my first observation. Um, the second observation is I looked at Orange's 20, 2025 plan, and I just did a control F to search for the word Africa. And I was intrigued. <laughs> the word came up once, and they basically said, West Africa is a new geography. 
Like the CEO is very self-assured. It's in the 2025 plan. And then they said mobile insurance as a new uh, product. So they're thinking about what I said about differentiating um, mobile money. So let's see. And I'm sure it's going to take less than five years because the CEO said a few months. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is just the level of diversification. If we think about all the different ways telcos make money. So voice, data, mobile money, other. Voice is what it is. It's flat to declining for almost all the telcos. Data is a massive mm-hmm. boom. Data is increasing, but the usage is increasing. The revenue is not increasing as fast as most people think because they need yeah. to keep on cutting the prices. Um, yeah. Money is off to a good start, but I just said a few minutes ago, I- I'm concerned about the level of differentiated features versus pure play. Um, so I think for all the telcos, the key question is, how do I add value? How do I add services? And does it make sense for me to do that myself? Is it based on investments? Is it based on partnerships? Um, yeah. And that's just the question they need, keep on needing to, they keep on, they need to keep on focusing on while also making sure their core business, of course, keeps on running, um, running on, on the track. So I would rather be Geo than Safaricom. And I would rather be Safaricom than MCN. And I'd rather be MCN than Orange from a differentiation perspective. But let's see how everything evolves over the next couple of years. I think everybody would rather be Geo. You don't get any points for, you don't get any points for. <laughs> For saying I would rather have spent thirty billion dollars of my money building yeah. a super fast network. Yeah, yeah, and, and then yeah, the a few things I'm looking forward to in the future with Orange is the how they enter West Africa, specifically uh, Nigeria, um, and do they focus on profitability or just getting users? And the final thing is their IPO, what they do with the money they raise from the IPO, and what the increased focus on autonomy of the African group, what that means for how they tackle the market. Um, so yeah, watch this space. I think they're going to IPO because they, they also opened a new uh, Africa and Middle East headquarters in Morocco as well. I saw that. So I think yeah. they're going to IPO pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. And then and then we'll see how they how they decide to grow. We, we shall see. We shall see. Because I, I I know if you I don't know if you remember from the uh, the Safaricom episode when Vodafone yeah. and Vodacom uh, Vodafone basically owned Mpesa and then Safaricom mm-hmm. had to buy Mpesa from their parent group. And I was like, wait, what, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. How can you buy a product from your parent group? You're all part of the same thing. And the CEO said, it gives us more autonomy to move faster with decisions. And our own product yeah. team implements in future. I'm like, oh yeah, that's very nuanced. Yes, you don't have to wait for permission. And yeah. your product team is in charge of features versus the London team. The yeah. PM is in London. The Swiss, it's, it, so I was like, there it's, is, even though it sounds, there, there are a lot of tangible benefits to having a specific Africa group run, managed centrally. Um, um, uh, decentralized versus you running it from uh, from France. So yeah, I agree. Um, oh so man, another episode. So we do recommendations. Yeah, let's do recommendations. I can go first, actually. Do it. So my recommendation this week is Hey Mail. Oh god. So I'm I'm definitely like I'm definitely like an early adopter for many things, um, because I I believe in like um, marginal improvements. Uh, I believe in getting one percent better across many different things, and I'm like the power of marginal improvements every day. Anyways. Anyways, my recommendation is Hey Mail. So if you haven't heard of Hey, it's basically a a separate standalone email service. You get an email address. It has a different approach to email compared to Jima and a lot of the others. You have to care enough about the workflow to pay for it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying it out. I've had it for two weeks now and I'm I'm happy so far. I think it makes email much more manageable and makes me feel less overwhelmed. Related to that though, I've been following um, the founders of Basecamp, the company that makes Hey. Big fans. Um, yeah, Justin Freed and DHH. Uh, Big fans. They 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 have a blog. They're very very interesting approach. Very 
op- they have strong opinions about many different things. Yeah. I'll link to the blog also as well. It's a very fi- I spent a lot of time uh, last couple big of days fans. just going through their blog and old posts. Yeah, I'm a big fan for multiple reasons. First of all, they fought with Apple because Apple was trying to take the 30% stake. So big fan of that, number one. Number two, since they're already wealthy, they can say things that some of us probably shouldn't say. And then number three, they push people to think more about building lifestyle, sustainable businesses versus, oh, I'm going to build a $30 billion business. And basically the point is a lot of people underestimate the risk of trying to do that. If the risk is 0.01% of building a $20 billion business, why not build one that's $100 million with 30% chance? Obviously, it's not really 30, but it's like if you do the risk adjusted outcome, you may actually be better off. And a lot of people just look at what's on TechCrunch and they'd be like, oh, I can do that. So they have very interesting perspectives. And I think yeah. it's interesting to see just how they think about things, especially because they can be very open versus a lot of people yeah. have the same perspectives, but they don't want to say it. So they, they have a different view. They started a business in late 90s, maybe early 2000s. They've yeah. only raised money from a handful of people in 2006. And since then, they haven't raised an external money. They focus on being profitable. He talks very openly. He has very popular software. Basecamp is very rarely used. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks very openly about not having, like he doesn't know what his company is valued at because it doesn't matter to him. His company makes a profit and they dist- it's, still, it's an LLC. Nobody gets equity. And they distribute the profits to the shareholders of the LLC every year when they make a profit. It's like, why does, why, like, that makes sense. There's nothing, there's no meeting, there's nothing else. So we take money out of the business. So we always direct the business. And his point was, I like my life. I like what I do. But if the company went to zero tomorrow, I would not be dead. Yeah. It's a very different way of doing things. And they're, they're also famously fully remote, by the way. So Yes, yes. That's interesting. Enough. Didn't they even, did one of them write a book on it? Yeah, remote, Jason Freed. My recommendation is I got a new podcast. It's called Millionaires Unveiled. So good. It's so good. I've listened to maybe 12 episodes over a week. I'm, make, I'm making a face. I've been making it for like five seconds and it, you can't see the face on the podcast. It's really, really good. The reason why I like it is, first of all, it's regular everyday people. And then number mm-hmm. two, it's more about, even though the title sounds, oh, it's about millionaires and getting rich. No, it's about people that are thinking about independence and all the different approaches and routes they took and the, the, all the micro decisions they took to get to that point. So th- there was a guy who, he dropped out from school, he was working at McDonald's, something happened with one of his managers, and then he met someone. It's just like, the stories are just fascinating. Like, it's from all over. It's Most of them are American, but a lot of them are immigrants. Some of them are interested mm. in, in real estate. Some of them are interested in entrepreneurship. Some of them are interested in equity and investing. It's just fascinating to see so many different backgrounds. And they're so open to talk about, this is my net worth. This is my asset yeah. allocation. This is what didn't work out in the past. These are the issues I had. It's extremely good. And I really, really like the story. So highly recommend it to people who listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it yeah. out. Uh, um, small wins. Yeah. So I, I'm spending this weekend in a place called White Salmon, Washington. It's pretty nice. Oh, like mountains, um, water. I just wanted to get away from the city for a while. It's been, it's peaceful. Love it. I, yeah, I, I would love to, I feel like we should all just take it because of COVID. A lot of people are traveling less frequently, but I still think it's important to leave the house every once in a while, just for, for, for sanity. One major small win. I started an experiment a few weeks ago where I stand doing all my video calls. So this includes this podcast I'm standing now. And it's been great because at first I was like, oh, this is going to be very, very difficult. But now it's like, you know how habits are. So as soon as we started the podcast, I was already standing. It's like muscle memory. All my calls and I just stand up. And since I have so many calls, I'm getting the appropriate ratio of like 30% standing, 60% sitting, which is, as most people know, that's better for human health versus sitting 100% of the time. It's been quite nice. Open questions. The open question I have is very, very straightforward. Any suggestions about what telcos or specifically Orange can do to diversify 
in a way that makes sense given their context. So give us a bunch of examples. I'm curious to hear how Orange can yeah. diversify away from the telco business. I'm curious to see how people think about it. And it can be anything. That's a good one. I'm curious as to what else is happening in French West Africa mm. um, that may be smaller but bigger. So what's big in DRC or big in these markets that we should be looking into or talking to or have somebody from podcast on? If you know somebody we should be talking to or something we should be looking at, please just email info at affability.com. I was very fascinated to like dive into like French business culture in these markets um, through a family telco lens, but I'm looking to do more more things like this in the future. Cool. I love it. I feel like we only have one major telco left, Vodacom, and then we're done with telcos. We should, we should do a cross-telco episode. I have that. Like, what are all our... Just one episode about all the telcos we've done and what is the cross-telco view across Africa, maybe 2022. I like that. I'm, I'm down for that. Looking forward to that one in 2022. Oof. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afrobility.com. Thanks.